What do you think about when I say Goa? Sun and sand perhaps, beachside shacks and fresh seafood, maybe also imagine the large baroque structures of the Basilica of Bomjesus and say cathedral, splendid and raw red laterite and white lime wash splendor in the hot sun. But if you were to push through the hordes of tourists in holiday clothes, sunglasses and hats, past the hawkers selling knickknacks and ice cream in electric colors, past tired vans and buses covered in fine red dust, you might reach the gentle slopes of what is now called Holy Hill. There you might see the lonely ruin of a tower which once overlooked a monastery of the Order of St. Augustine, soaring into the sky as though suspended in time. Across the road from it are three imposing flying buttresses, lending a fortress-like quality to the building they support. This is the convent of St. Monica or Santa Monica, the mother of St. Augustine, whose crumbling tower, which we just saw, casts a gentle shadow over her building. This ancient structure, still busy with footsteps today, was built nearly 400 years ago, at a time when Goa was growing to become one of Asia's largest cities, larger even than distant Lisbon that ruled it from across the seas. It was commissioned at the request of the thriving populace of Goa to provide a space for local women who felt called to a religious life. It also housed women of Portuguese extraction who were unmarried, widowed or had husbands considered missing. The complex of Santa Monica, as indomitable as a fortress, was built to keep the constant chaos and change of the world at bay, to provide a secluded, stable world for contemplation and prayer. But time had other plans. Welcome to the Altar of Time, a history of India's Christian art. My name is Anirudh Kanisetti. Indian Christian art, like Indian Christianity, is vast and varied. We often think that Christianity in the subcontinent began with European imperialism and colonization, and we often think that it focuses on converting people of Dalit Bahujan or Adivasi backgrounds. But Indian Christian history, experience and expression is larger than these two misconceptions and varies across communities and geographies, religious sects, castes and languages. In the first century CE, Within decades of the death of the historical Jesus in the Levant, two of his disciples, Saints Thomas and Bartholomew, were on India's shores, carried like so many other preachers, goods and peoples by the currents and winds of the Indian Ocean. Indian Christian art then blossomed and swelled in the tides of arts and objects produced by every region of the subcontinent since. From the growth of upper caste Christian communities, churches and rituals along the Malabar coast, to the European aesthetics of the Portuguese, Dutch and British colonial worlds. In the early to mid 20th century, Indian artists like Angelo da Fonseca and Sister Marie Claire 
began to express Christian legends using indigenous motifs, before postmodern greats like F.N. D'Souza innovated further with the form. As all of this should show you, Indian Christian art takes on many shades and tones. In The Altar of Time, we're exploring only a tiny sliver of this fascinating world, a body of objects produced when two cultures came into close contact with each other, exchanging complex symbols and codes. We're exploring Indo-Portuguese Indian Christian art through the liturgical and art objects housed in the Museum of Christian Art at the Convent of Santa Monica in Old Goa. Along the way, we'll explore the rich, transcontinental history of Catholic Christianity, its culture and doctrines, and most importantly, how Indians have engaged with it, century over century, lives through lives. Before we go on this journey through time and space, let's explore the museum building itself, the church of the convent of Santa Monica. This structure is a living historical artifact, documenting the change and growth of Christianity, Goa and Indo-Portuguese Christian art. Founded in 1994, the Museum of Christian Art is located in what was once the choir of the Church of Santa Monica, where nuns offered prayers for themselves and the world. Built between 1606 and 1627, the convent, as we mentioned earlier, is built like a fortress, with thick walls and buttresses and a central courtyard. But if we want to understand this convent, we need to first understand the women who lived in it. In Catholic Christianity, women, like men, can take vows of monasticism, choosing lives spent within monasteries, trading the duties and responsibilities of householders for rather different ones. The nuns who lived in the convent of Santa Monica, like most nuns in the past, took three vows of poverty, chastity and obedience, as well as special vows of stability and enclosure. A vow of stability meant that a monk or nun would remain in the convent they joined until their death, unless their superior sent them somewhere else, or they received special permission or dispensation from the seat of the Catholic Church in Rome. Vows of enclosure meant that they separated themselves from the world. They would live exclusively within the walls of the convent, and only interact with the outside world through special windows and grills. If you were to visit the Museum of Christian Art today in the convent of Santa Monica, you'd see that you can't actually explore the entire convent. At one end of the former chapel, opposite the high altar, facing the door through which you enter is a thick wall with a door and two small windows. This part of the museum that we're walking around in was the choir area, or the part of the chapel exclusively for the nuns. If you take the stairs within the choir area, you'll come to a loft or raised gallery which offers a breathtaking view of the church itself, on the other side of the wall, through tall, formidable grills. The choir area was at the back of the church, and the nuns could pray and attend church services from here without being seen by the congregational worshippers. The small windows in the wall of the church allowed the nuns to participate in rituals such as confession, where baptized Christians confess their sins to an ordained cleric and receive absolution, or to receive communion, where Catholics consume consecrated wine and bread that represent the blood and body of Christ, respectively. This building, once the first convent for women east of Portugal, is now Asia's first museum dedicated exclusively to Christian art. 
at the time of the release of this podcast, it's also the first museum in India to have a podcast dedicated to it. But this transition from convent church to museum didn't happen overnight. For 200 years, generation after generation of women entered the convent and lived and died and worshipped there, part of Goan society and history and yet separate from it. Over this time, Goa went from being a tiny Portuguese foothold to a booming emporium where many European Catholic monastic orders had a presence. Wrested from the Deccan Sultanate of Bijapur, it saw aggressive religious conversion and then faced aggression from the Marathas. As Portuguese territories in the subcontinent grew, attitudes towards religious conversion and monastic activities changed with a growing population of Hindus within the state of Goa. By 1835, the Portuguese government began to suppress and expel religious orders from Goa due to what it saw as unwarranted influence from the seat of the Catholic Church in Rome. As you can imagine, closing down the convent of Santa Monica would have meant that the nuns, who had been separated from society for so long, would have to reintegrate, compromising their vows. And so, alone among all of Goa's religious orders, the convent of Santa Monica was spared complete and immediate closure on the condition that it would not accept any new novices. The plan was that once the last nun died, the convent could be permanently closed. But this only happened 50 years later in 1885. One can only imagine the burden of loneliness and desolation the last nun felt as she drifted through the cloisters, accompanied only by the crowded yet silent murals all around her. She was the last representative of a vanished rhythm of monasticism, and she must have known that with her, an entire way of life would disappear. The convent, once home to women of so many different ages, eventually came to be used to house Portuguese men who served in the army. After India annexed Goa in 1961, it then became the temporary home of Indian army men who came from everywhere from the Gangetic Plains to the Deccan Plateau and the Malabar and Coromandel coasts. One can only imagine what they must have thought of the quarters of these women who had given themselves to God. It was only a few years after that that the church was finally allowed to resume the administration of the convent. A religious training institute for women called the Mata Dei or Mother of God now operates in what was once the convent. The Museum of Christian Art has been hoist in its choir area since 2002. The church today is a cultural space used for sacred and chamber music concerts, public lectures and exhibitions. It is also a space open to pilgrims and devotees. A world of colourful myths and folk legends surround the convent and its former inhabitants. There are rumours that skeletons of children were found in a tunnel linking the male monastery of St. Augustine to the female monastery of Santa Monica. A statue of Christ on the cross is said to have opened its eyes and bled from its wounds in 1636. A scandal rocked the convent in 1721 when 62 nuns left in protest against the behaviour of the Archbishop. And one Sister Maria de Jesus is supposed to have received the wounds of Christ on her hands and feet, a phenomenon called stigmata, at the age of 78. But with all these myths and histories, 
We might forget that this building was made to house real people like you and I, with real dreams, hopes and ambitions. Nuns of Portuguese descent wearing black veils sat next to eight-ended chores alongside nuns of local Goan descent who wore white veils. Together they gazed at many of the objects we'll see over the course of this podcast, including the magnificent silver pelican monstrance on the golden altar flanked by carved angels with cashew-shaped earrings. The same nuns walked every day from their cells where they slept, to the chapel, to the garden, to the refectory, to the workrooms. Their cloth robes gently swept the stone as they walked. The breeze of their passing touched murals which you can still see today, captured in Dr. Omkar Bhatkar's documentary film, Painted Hymns. With their own hands, they made banners and altar cloths and prayed for safety in violent times. We know that one such banner made by the nuns of the convent of Santa Monica snapped in the breeze over the Murmagao fort, providing courage and blessings to soldiers fighting off the invading Dutch. One of the convent's nuns, in between counting Hail Mary prayers and watching her stitches, had a brilliant idea. She decided to make a cake with the yolks left over after egg whites were used to starch the nuns' habits. Combining these leftover yolks with jaggery and coconut milk, she baked a marvelous layered cake, now central to Goan identity, called Bebinka. It is strange that this building, made to keep the world out, made to stay unchanged and stable across the turbulent sea of time, saw so many of its own transformations. From a mural-decorated home for chaste, contemplative women of noble descent, denied every pleasure of the body, coursing through candlelit cloisters to the sweet strains of Salve Regina, to a barracks for young soldiers, to a home for sweat, guns, body jokes and graffiti, to quiet, well-lit modern galleries, pierced by the respectful gaze of tourists. The convent on the serene holy hill has seen many different kinds of work and worship. It has seen many different kinds of Goa. Over the course of this podcast series, remember that every object we look at was once used by real people whose names and stories we may never know. The cloisters where they are stored, once built to keep the world out, are now the centre of many curious gazes including our own. From this silent hall, we will enter the fascinating world of Indo-Portuguese Christian art. Mm-hmm.